Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the car. So thanks for inviting me to New Zealand to speak about this subject. Um, really excited and honoured to be invited here today. And you were probably expecting myself and my podcast colleague, Dr. Joe Milios, who's a physiotherapist from Western Australia as well. Unfortunately, she went on a um, little trip before coming to the conference and there was some bad weather and she got stuck in Queenstown. So she's on a bus at the moment to Christchurch and then a plane to here. So she'll be here in time for tomorrow, but you have just got me instead of her today. So I'm going to try and do her part of today's talk uh, speech at Justice and um, also tell you a bit about what we do and how we fill the gaps in men's health and try and give patients the tools to do well on their own with a little bit of assistance. So the way we do this is we have one joint project, which is the Penis Project, which is a podcast, which you may or may not have listened to. Um, and I'll tell you how to listen to that and a bit more about that soon. I'm also going to talk about Bin for Brokes and the Prostate and Prost, which are two programs that Joe has started, which are her babies uh, and help fill the gaps in men's health. I'm also going to speak about an online penile rehabilitation program that I've designed. But first of all, the most common question we get asked is how on earth did we end up in this area of health? And so I thought I would give you a really brief story about that. So um, I'm a nurse practitioner originally. I was a remote area nurse for many years, 15 years, and a midwife as well. And then in 2003, I became a nurse practitioner, which really just formalized what I had already been doing, working in remote areas as a sole practitioner. I was now able to legally diagnose illness and prescribe um, treatments for that. 
And then in 2000, I kept working in remote areas and as a midwife alternatively until 2011 when they brought in in Australia Medicare rebates for nurse practitioners. In the past, only doctors had had it. So then I saw the opportunity to open up a private practice. So I went into private practice within a GP practice in Geraldton, which is a town of about 30,000 people, uh, 500 kilometres north of Perth. And whilst I was in general practice there, I got a lot of patients in, uh, particularly women, because all of the other GPs there were men. And this one particular day, a lady came in in her 60s to have a, uh, it was called a pap smear then, but it's now called a cervical screen. And she came in to have this pap smear. And when I, re I recognised her because I'd actually had a bit to do with her as a much younger woman when I was in my very early 20s, just graduated from uni. And she was the after hours manager when I was an emergency nurse. And she used to come down on night shift and chat to me when it was quiet and tell me all about her amazing sex life. Well, at the time she was in her 40s. And as a 22 year old, I was pretty disgusted to think that people that old still had sex. So anyway, told me all of this. And then I hadn't seen her for quite some time. Um, I'm also a marriage celebrant. So a few years previous to meeting her again, I had happened to marry her son to his wife and I saw her and her husband there. And at the time they were still very connected and obviously in love. Then a few years down the track, she comes in, I go to do the pap smear and she had terrible vaginal atrophy. And I said to her, what's going on? How come you haven't got any treatment for this? To which she burst into tears and told me that her husband had had his prostate removed two years previously. He'd been very depressed, hadn't held her hand, hadn't touched her. Their relationship had completely broken down and she was quite heartbroken and lonely. So I thought, this is terrible. There must be a solution. Finished the pap smear and then had a big chat to her and said, why don't you get your husband to come in and I'll see if there's something I can do to help. I had no idea. But I had a colleague in Perth that I knew dealt with um, in with these issues. So I called him and he told me how to help someone post-prostate cancer get their erection back, uh, which I did. And a few months later, they sent me a lovely bunch of flowers and a card saying how they were so happy. And, you know, they really felt like they'd reconnected. And in fact, they actually came, I'd given them some homework, which was to re-establish intimacy, but not worry about intercourse and when they came in, they were like naughty teenagers holding hands and um, giggling because they'd failed their homework and they had had sex. So this just spurred me on to think, I really want to learn more about this. So I decided to go back to university and I did a postgraduate degree for two years um, in sexology. Um, it was pretty hard to convince my husband that it was time for me to go back to uni because I'd already spent about 11 years studying various postgrads and masters previous. Um, but when I told him what I wanted to study, he was all for it because he thought it was very cool to be able to tell his mates that, that um, he was married to a sexologist much better than a nurse. So that's my story. Now, Joe, how did Joe um, has been a physiotherapist? We're both around the same age. Um, actually, we're exactly the same age. And she's been a physiotherapist for many years. And then back in um, a while her brother David asked her you know 14 years ago said that he was going to start doing laparoscopic prostatectomies in Western Australia and he called her up and said the problem is is I think that they'll have much better outcomes if they had pelvic floor training before the surgery but the only pelvic health physios in Perth were very female focused and they had a waiting list of three months so he asked her if she could help 
So she reviewed all the literature, found that um, actually the literature didn't support pelvic health for like pelvic health training for men pre-prostatectomy. And this kind of baffled her. So she went along and read it all and then discovered that what they were doing when they were training these men for the research programs, they were, it was all about the rectal sphincter. And the way they were teaching them was in a laying down position, finger up the rectum, and then surprise, surprise, there was no improvement in their continence pre or whether they'd had this training or not. So she then thought about the anatomy of it all and thought there must be a better way. So she started, she had a theory and she started training men um, pelvic floor exercises, but concentrating on the urinary sphincter instead of the rectal sphincter. And when she did this, she found the continence rates went up enormously. So she did this for about seven years and then decided she needed to prove this to everybody else. So she enrolled in a PhD and another seven years later, she had all the data and she was awarded a PhD. And now that's what she does. She promotes men's health. Um, she was also very like, passionate about men's health when she discovered that men's health in Australia is 30 years behind women's health. Um, and this is actually a global figure as well. So that's how we both came to be working in this area and decided that we really wanted to help men have better quality of life after various treatments. So one day back in 2020, we were walking around the corridor, a bit bored to be honest, which is surprising because COVID had hit WA and we we're in lockdown and all of our consults were, were online. So we were having a chat and I said to Joe this day, you know, I feel like I'm always relying on the same patients who are happy to share their stories with other patients because these men would come in and they would be so sad about what they were going through and men don't talk. So their mates hadn't told them, honestly, even if they had had a prostate, their friends hadn't told them that they might be suffering erectile dysfunction or having relationship problems because unlike most vulvar owners, um, we sit around, have a few drinks and chat to each other about our problems or a cup of tea or something while we're at mother's group or grandparents group or whatever it is we do. But men don't really do this as much. So I found myself, I had a few core patients that I was always calling on to speak to some men that were really sad and telling them about their journey and trying to support them. And I said to Joe, wouldn't it be great if we could like record these people and share them? And she was like, this is an excellent idea. So we decided to join forces and we got some equipment, had no idea what we were doing. And we started inviting our patients to record their stories and really thinking at the beginning that this podcast would just be for our patients and they would be the only people to listen. Um, I hadn't even listened to many podcasts in those days. So it was a massive learning curve. We had to figure out how to load a podcast and how to edit one and if you listen to those ones in the early days the quality is not great um, but we've certainly got better and we've got much better equipment now and we have employed some people to help us like load it and do all of those technical issues um, so down the track we're in 2023 we're up to episode 128 and um we actually released our first podcast episode on my 50th birthday, no, 49th birthday. So that was interesting and exciting. So we never realized how great this would be. So it's just gone crazy. We have listeners from all over the world. It seems that at the time we were the only podcast in Apple with the word penis in it, which must have struck up people's curiosity and they started listening. 
Um, we now have hundreds of thousands of downloads and um, we have listeners from all over the world. The top six are Australia, US, UK, Germany, New Zealand, and I can't remember the last one. So yeah, but anyway, there's a lot. Um, so yeah, we've, oh, Canada, of course, Canada. So the podcast has been amazing. It comes out every Wednesday. We do a bulk um, recording one day a month where we record four or five episodes and then we put them out there. Some of them we do together, some of them we do on our own. Um, and so a lot of them are men who have been through prostate cancer treatment and their partners. Some of them are specialists. We've got their stories as well. And there also is a lot of other men's health issues such as Peroni's, incontinence, um, premature ejaculation, all sorts of things, any problems that anybody can come up with that we think might be interested and other people might be interested in listening to. So the thing that I think is the most valuable about this podcast is not listening to Joe and I, um, it's listening to patients' real life stories because this is what is missing in improving patients' quality of life. People need hope and they need to know that they're not alone and that other people just like them have been through what they're going through. And that's the aim, as far as I'm concerned, of the podcast. So if you get a chance, listen, or if you have any sad patients or any just patients who are curious for knowledge, hopefully they can listen, they can learn something and not feel so alone. Um, I know that Prostate Cancer UK now, the, um, so the foundation, Prostate Cancer UK, actually recommend this podcast to all their new, it's on their list of references for all of their new diagnosed people with prostate cancer. So yeah, and bladder cancer. So that is one of the ways that we filled the gap together. And now I'm going to touch on the ways that Jo has filled the gap in her practice. Um, so, you know, first of all, she got really fired up about men's health and realised that, you know, so many men during their lifespan will require help for their bladder and bowel issues, that over 50% of men over 50 experience some problem with their prostate, such as or erectile dysfunction, and it is rising all of the time. One in 10 men have Peyronie's disease. One in nine men will experience chronic pelvic pain. And one man per minute commits suicide globally. And so this is tragic. And so, you know, all the more reason why we need to help men. And I think, and hopefully you'll all agree, there is a lot out there to help women, but not a lot to help men when it comes to health. So, and men are different. They interact differently to most females or vulva owners. Um, they, you know, like to talk to each other side by side, not usually face on. And they also like to be empowered and they like to do things for themselves and feel like they have a bit of control. So one of the big problems that um, Joe came across was men who have to wear continence pads and, you know, where do they put them? And I know I'd never thought about this before, but, you know, if you're a man and you wear a continence pad, they don't have bins in their toilets usually for them to put them in. So where do you put these things? Uh, what do they do with them? So guys who have problems with continence or urgency, any sort of these that have to wear pads have an issue. They've got to carry a backpack. They've got to carry their wet nappies home with them. This is terrible. This gentleman that you see here um, is a patient of ours who, a lovely Italian man who just wanted to go and have coffee with his mates in the morning at his local cafe like he'd been doing for the last 30 years. However, they didn't have a public toilet. 
He had urgency, post-prostate surgery, and he was incontinent. So he stopped going and he became depressed and isolated. And, you know, this is really sad. So his wife, an amazing woman called Lena, started up a little program where she made bags for men to take their pads in and in that she'd put a smelly nappy bag so it didn't feel so bad and nobody knew and no one could smell. And she was really passionate about this. And then she approached Joe one day and was telling her what she'd been doing. And Joe was like, wow, this is great. We really need to get bins in men's toilets. And then the Bins for Blokes program was born. And this is now um, rolled out and supported by Continents Australia. And it's been rolled out across Australia. So if you go anywhere um, in Australia now, you can hopefully see a bin for blokes in the toilet. And they'll have a sticker on the door saying that there's one there. We have them in our major sporting grounds in Western Australia and, and that is slowly creeping out to the rest of Australia. So it's an amazing program that has been completely taken on now by Continents Australia and we're really hoping will keep growing. And it's all thanks to this one very passionate wife um, and then finding someone like Joe to support her and get this out there. So you can go to the website and find out all about it. Um, and you can also find out sites and things like that. It's great. The second thing Joe's done to try and break down the barriers and close the gap um, for men's health is she, back in 2012, she thought, you know, exercise is not great for men. Like it's not geared for men with continence issues. So she decided to start a program that would get men to be connected, supported, and increase their strength and increase their pelvic floor strength whilst having fun and being in a group environment. And so Prost was born. Um, Prost has been getting stronger and stronger, going from strength to strength. And it now is a nonprofit or registered nonprofit organization. It employs a uh, exercise physiologist who tailors the exercises for these men and men are encouraged to join. All they need to do is pay $12 a session, which is pretty cheap really, and they love it. They absolutely love it. They're very enthusiastic about it and now it has been completely taken over by these volunteers and they run it. They're very active in the community. They go to seniors days, they speak at support groups, they do all sorts of things. Um, and what I've seen in my patients who have joined PROST is not just an improvement in their physical strength. And we all know that exercise helps, um, gets better survivorship if you're a cancer patient. So it's great for that. But most importantly, I see their mental health rise and that being connected and talking to other guys and being with people who are going through the same thing as them is just like amazing. So this has been a fantastic way to fill the gaps. So check out their website. So in my, um, my area of health, um, I'm talking about sex. I talk about sex with patients all the time. So, and mainly with prostate cancer patients, penile rehabilitation, but I see men and women about all different realms of sexual problems. And my big thing is that men and women and everybody need to know that sex with sexual dysfunction is not the same, but it can still be really good. So I feel as though it's just really important for people to know this. And often it's surprisingly enough when I've seen someone that has sexual dysfunction or a couple that have gone through some sort of issue, at the end of the day, they'll say six months, 12 months down the track, do you know that our intimate relationship is better now than it's been for a long time because 
we've had a reason to talk about it and we haven't just brushed it under the carpet and we've tried new things and we've addressed our problems that we were both too awkward or embarrassed to bring up. So this is my big message that sex and intimacy with sexual dysfunction is not the same, but it can still be really good. And that's what I want to get out there. Every day in my clinic, I don't have a consulting day where I don't have at least one man end up in tears or on the verge of tears. And it's never because as simple as he can't get an erection, it is usually because he feels like he's lost connection and he's lost his masculinity because everything isn't working like it used to be. So I think this is, you know, really, really important area and we really need to make sure we talk about these things with, with men and women and everybody. So you might ask, do people care about intimacy and sexuality? Well, a study showed that 80% of participants with cancer had an intense interest to discover sexual concerns, but they don't usually bring it up because they feel guilty. They're like, this health specialist has cured me from a disease or given me longer to live or do whatever. And then they go, I can't bring this up because it feels like I'm being selfish and I'm not grateful of how much they've helped me. So I'm doing another talk later in the um, in the next few days, which is about how to bring this up and what patients really want to know. And like really all I can encourage you to do in this short time is talk to people. You don't have to have the answers, but ask them if it's important. And if it is, send them somewhere where they can get help. I think we're getting so good at curing illness and disease now that we need to think about people's long-term quality of life and not just about fixing the problem. We need to think about how it affects everything else in their lifestyle. So oh, people, do they still have sex into old age? Um, my 22-year-old self was disgusted at the idea, but now um, in my 50s, I realise that yes, they do, and it's healthy and it's good for us. So I have patients of all different ages. My youngest patient at the moment is 16, who's suffering a a penile issue due to post-COVID um, and my oldest patient is 96. Um, him and his wife who's in her late 80s, actually she might be past 90 now, um, share they have a very active sex life and come and see me regularly to make sure things are all working properly and tweaking their doses of their medications and things to make sure things are right. So how do I think the best way is to fill the gap? It's just to have conversations with people. Like it's talk about it. And I love this cartoon because I think it shows what happens often. The patient doesn't want to ask and the health professional doesn't want to ask. And that might be because the health professional feels uncomfortable. But I've worked in general practice. I've, I, I've worked in hospitals. I realise also that you're really, really time poor and that bringing up a conversation like this is opening a can of worms. So I know that this isn't something everybody can do or is equipped to do with time or skills, but all you have to do is ask the question and then send them in the right direction to get help. Um, and I just think that is the biggest way that we as health professionals can fill the gap. The other way that I think is really important is doing things like I'm doing today, is educating health professionals. So last year, Movember brought out the sexual health um, guidelines for prostate cancer patients. This is the, the international guidelines. This is the first time ever in the world that this subject has been addressed on a global scale. Uh, so the University of Michigan was um, did this. They made these guidelines up for Movember. And 
now they have been rolled out worldwide and I really encourage you to check these out. They had um, peer reviewers from various countries in the world of which I was lucky enough to be one of the Australian reviewers and there was two of us. Uh, so this is a brilliant flowchart that anybody can follow and I think now this is hopefully going to make us all more aware that it's not enough just to cure disease, but we need to think about people's quality of life when they're going to live a long time. And the final way that I have um, come up with helping people is I have started some online programs. So I think that a lot of penis owners are really embarrassed to go and see a health professional and I know often when I first see men they're looking at the ground and they don't want to look at me and it's about 10-15 minutes into our consult that they'll go oh this is okay she doesn't think I'm weird and they'll actually open up but also lots of people live in rural and remote areas I myself did for 20 years and I know how And I think COVID has been great in that. It's made healthcare a lot more accessible to people in these areas. And there's a lot of people who are really busy in their fast-paced life and don't have time to go to various consults. So I started a penile rehabilitation program online, which men uh, and their partners can purchase. Um, it's cheaper than um, coming and seeing me face-to-face -face for eight consults. And they get all the information of the equivalent of eight consults. And they it empowers them to be responsible for their rehabilitation and help them get back to sexual function and stop their penis from shrinking so they can still stand up to pee. So there is five to 10 minutes a day of exercises and things people can do to improve their long-term outcomes and quality of life. And all of that is in here. So um, please check this out. You know, the link to the website is above, or you can just go to my website and there's a link from there. And I'm always looking for um, other health professionals to help me tell people about this. And there's a program coming out soon for straight erectile dysfunction and another one for peronies, because there's a lot of conservative ways we can treat peronies and um, before they have to go and have surgery. The program has all these modules in it and we talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about survivorship. And I teach them if they never get their function back, what they can do instead, that's module four. So we talk about injectables for erectile dysfunction. We talk about using a pump. We talk about sex toys. We talk about mixing up the script and that it's not all about penetrative sex. Um, so they learn a lot about this. And most importantly, I teach them about their anatomy because most people don't know how something in their body works until it isn't working anymore. So the takeaway today is what can you do to help? Um, if you're comfortable, explain the changes that are going to happen when people are on various have various illnesses, treatments, medications. Involve their partners if they have one in the conversation. Assess their overall health. Refer them to other people. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to ask the question and refer them on. And empower people to help themselves. People who feel empowered and are helping themselves are much better mentally than than ones who feel like other people they're all of their their life and everything is in the control of other people so talk 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 what can your patients do to maximize their sexual function they are in control of these things they're in control of their lifestyle they're in control of whether or not they choose to practice pleasure their mindset 
managing their own stress, improving their relationship. The best way to improve a relationship is to have fun with your partner. It's not about sex. It's about having fun. Um, and seek help with grief. Accept that this is a loss. Things are changing and it's a loss. There is grief associated with ageing. There's grief associated with loss of function. And people need to acknowledge that. And if they need it, get help. So thanks very much for listening. Um, I hope you learned something. I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now It fills me with pride To see him growing so fast into a man His victories become mine